You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 41. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. Visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and more. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. This episode is sponsored by Infragistics, technology modernization and migration. When faced with the challenge of any technology migration for modernization, like a desktop or web or mobile initiative, product teams often consider only the obvious technical challenges associated with something like the browser-based display. You need to go beyond the obvious and get to a deeper level of understanding of the pitfalls and challenges in major technology migrations. Infragistics experts can help you with their tools and process to ensure your next major projects are a success. Head over to www.infragistics.com and get started with your free 30-day trial. All right, so let's get into our podcast news, right? So first off, got to say, lots of love on iTunes this go-around. Lots of reviews. You know how I am about pronouncing some of these names. I don't know if you want me to be the guy to do this because it starts I, off I already. Do, actually. It's been a while. <laughs> okay, thanks. And there's so, one in here in particular I want you to say. Okay, well, r- the first one is the one that has me like a sar- I can't even do that one. Sartavius? Okay, thank you. Herp Derpington is definitely my favorite of them. Uh, Dre Young, he's in there. Terrence Hall, Bill Cron, Bayrock. Yeah, I'm Dat Cat. Neil Code, uh, Jay, Jay Guile, Toga. Hmm, now you got me on that one. Balchi. Okay, thank you. Uh, benev- benevolently, but blah, blah, blah. Well, that one didn't come out right at all. <laughs> it's in there. And Derek Husky. Yes. Yeah, thank I know you. Dre Young. Yeah, yep, Dre Young's all, amazing. He's Slack, uh, yeah, dropping the knowledge. Yep. You can, if you want to uh, interact with him, definitely come join our Slack channel. He's, he's awesome. So I'm going to make Joe do the Stitcher reviews. All right. We got Eigensbro, which is another one from the Slack, right? Yep. Awesome. He's in there. Uh, Dominic and Ranger. Yes. And by the way, of those all the reviews were amazing. Thank you for taking the time to write them up. But I especially like the fact that we were the cheese <laughs> that, that wraps the pill that is programming, and that is the delivery mechanism to trick him into enjoying, uh, you know, learning. So. Well, I mean, in this go round of reviews, and and this isn't the first time this has happened, but. There were some of these reviews where they purposely installed iTunes just to take yeah. the time. So, like, that's really going out of your way, and we super appreciate it can't, and can't express how much we appreciate that. And, you know, there's another place. We don't talk about this one as much, but occasionally I'll go poke around to see, like, what kind of love we're getting on Reddit. And there was some action there, too, of people mentioning the podcast. And so I thought, well, surely we should mention these guys, too. Totally agree. So, Alan, it's your turn. All right, so we've got Ronage, Carlos Machina, or Machina, depending on how you want to go about that, uh, Blue Jean, Scramble RK, or Scrambled RK, Tells, and Tom5171. So a big thanks to you guys for sharing the love out there on Reddit. So, Yeah, so we got some interesting uh, questions that came in this time, so I thought we would we would start off with some of those. 
And uh, the first one I have here is from Chris. And he, he's got two questions, so we're going to take these in two separate parts, right? So he's just starting to get into programming, and he's finding the nuances about coding uh, that we go over to be very helpful. That, that's scary. <laughs> but <laughs> but he, he's starting off easy learning Python and uh, hopes to move on to Django and wants to know if we think Django would be the correct framework for him to step into next in his learning uh, you know, path, right? And uh, you know he, he wants to create a simple reporting tool for uh, from a MySQL database uh, that he has set up, and you know his GUI would consist of drop-down menus to run queries on that uh, MySQL database. But he wants to hide the MySQL guts of that away from the end user, and wants to know our thoughts. So uh, my first thought there is that just to hearing the the problem space. My first inclination is just oh Ruby on Rails, but I think knowing Python. And uh, the little bit I know about Django, it's it's kind of like a why not? You know, Ruby on Rails has definitely got the, uh, it's probably the biggest name in that sort of space right now. But with Django being so similar, and even Python and Ruby being so similar, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, yeah, basically why not? So I think Django sounds like it could be a really great choice. I know a lot of people really like it and use it. So uh, more power to you. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he stumbled onto a, uh, a good pair you know, like if he's already working on Python, then go for it. Django sounds like a good fit. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, with that, it, I guess my take is if he's enjoying Python and he wants to take it to that next level and learning a popular framework like that is a is a huge step in the right direction. But whatever's going to make him feel like going through and finishing his project, right? So if Django is going to help him do that, and, and he's going to enjoy it, and it's going to give him the passion that he needs to drive forward with that, then I say that's a definite yes, right? Like, choose things that are going to make you want to do them. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that I would hope that that wouldn't you know, mean that he's not going to focus any time on JavaScript, for example. Right. I mean, obviously, if it's going to be a, uh, you know a web app, then there's going to be some kind of client-side focus to it. JavaScript is probably going to come in handy, so it's probably going to be a good skill to pick up, and you know you can't go wrong with it these days. But there's a lot of love for Python, you know, yeah. and and the and the people that do love it are very adamant about it. So yeah, and you are going to end up learning JavaScript, so you might as well stick with the server language that you're familiar with. Yeah, well, yeah, and I was kind of curious, you know, where you guys might go with that. Like, if you guys would would uh, like jump on a Node bandwagon from a server side point of view, but. Yeah, I think Python from the server side would be okay. I don't, I don't see a problem with that. I mean, I've definitely shown some love towards Node lately, but I, there's no reason I wouldn't jump on Python or Ruby on Rails or any of those either. So I think as long as it's something that's pa a passion that drives you, or if you're trying to learn something to get you into a particular place in your market, you know, as long as those two things align with whatever you're trying to do, then yeah, straight up, go for it. Yeah. So... The second part of his question, though, is, uh, you know, any resume or career advice and, you know, like helpful tips about being a programmer and what to expect and, you know, how to break into the development side, um, you know, where to go from there, right? User groups, GitHub, podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Boom, boom, boom. The user groups are huge. You get, definitely get involved with some user groups, not only not only because of the learning aspect of, of hearing what the topics are and hearing, you know, like 
literally firsthand like people right there in front of your face telling you about the experiences that they're having. But just from a networking perspective, you know, the user groups are a huge, uh, can be a huge benefit to you, assuming that you have some user groups available in your area. Yeah. And I think what he's also doing with his, with wanting to get into the Django project as well, like, uh, you know, potentially putting that thing out on GitHub, if it's not something that you care, uh, you know, about open sourcing and showing other people your work, that's a good way to get into it. And, and having like a resume, an online resume to where you can show kind of what you've done. That's, that can be big. And then the other thing I'll say is a lot of times data analysts, I've seen this in a couple different companies. They're really close to the applications already a lot of times. So maybe if you spend some, some of your personal time trying to write like maybe little utilities to maybe massage that data or something, and then, and then slowly bring that into the fold at your job, then somebody could see, hey, this guy's got some skills. Let's see if we could pull him into a more development-centric type role. Yeah. And I've, I've seen that happen. Mm-hmm. So that's that's not a bad approach either. And granted, that depends on the company that you're with. Like, who knows? We don't know the the insights as to whether or not that is a possibility. But, you know, that's that's something to think about. All right, so... Our next question comes in, and Joe writes in and says that he has done 80% of VB and VB.net and 20% C. I assume he means in his entire career. But he wants to know, is there a reason he should migrate to C Sharp since we've never mentioned anything about VB? And would he get more functionality or performance than what he gets from VB.net? Yep, and uh, I am a C sharp snob. Uh, I'll admit it. I, I'm you know kind of scarred by old VB six. Um, I just thought it was kind of really ugly, and so even though I know a lot of the problems are fixed with um, VB.net, I just can't get into it. And I, I feel like that's a, a feeling that's shared with a lot of people. So I, I think it's kind of like left a, a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And so um, you know maybe I'm just spoiled i guess but um you know when i especially when i think about things like the link syntax i think c sharp is just really sharp <laughs> but uh, performance wise there's basically no difference you know there's a couple little things like vb.net um is ch- has checked arithmetic um and uh, you know there's some different language constructs but at the end of the day it, it, both of them get um compiled down to il so uh, i would be really surprised if there you know if you could even find a couple examples that behaved wildly different performance wise so um, you know, uh, it's, it's about what you want to do though. So if you know VB.net, you're solving problems with it. You like it. Um, that compiles down to IL. It's kind of like why learn C sharp? Well, I can tell you why. So if you ever, okay, so let's, okay. So let's assume that right now you're doing VB.net and everything's going well for you, right? Career wise, you're happy and all that. But there's definitely a lot less demand for VB.net out there than there is for, say, a C-sharp or True. a Java. And if you did move on to C-sharp, that syntactically is much closer to a Java that if you ever did find yourself having to switch to Java, then at least it's not going to be as foreign to you, Right. I totally agree on all that. That's actually basically what I was going to say is syntactically, it's so close to a lot of other languages, JavaScript, Java, um, C, like, it, I don't know. It just translates better. Well, not C, because C isn't class. C isn't object-oriented. C++, sorry. Okay. 
Yeah. So how about this? How about instead take a look at F sharp, which is it's kind of <laughs> like, you know, if C sharp's one step in the C sharp direction, then I feel like F sharp is kind of like a hundred years in the future of C sharp. <laughs> so well, yeah, there's you a take lot a look at truth that, to you, be said there. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of interesting features, and uh, it, you know, it's kind of a uh, complementary, so it's not so much doubling up, and it still compiles down to IL, and you can interact with the VB stuff that you're familiar with, and so. Yeah. So it sounds fun. like the answer then is there's no reason why you, you you don't have to, but for your own self-preservation, you should consider looking into a C-sharp-like language just you know, to, to protect yourself. Totally agree. Okay. <clears throat> All right. And then Seb writes in and says he's currently in a dilemma about which laptop to buy and he knows how we like hardware and wanted to see if we could give him some tips. So here's the homework assignment that was given to us basically, right? If you had $1,800 that you were going to spend on a laptop, no more, right? Don't go overboard, Alan. What, what would your right thoughts, up. what would you do, right? Like what kind of specs would you prioritize, right? Would you go for a processor over RAM or, you know, would you go for something Mac-based? Would you go for something Windows-based? Or would you just say, you know what? I know that this is going to be a dedicated Linux machine. Like, what what direction would you go? All right. So I did a little bit of research because I am a bit of a hardware nerd when it comes to stuff like this. And he did ask, what would you prioritize the most? And so first, I think I need to split this up between Mac and a Windows-based PC. If you're going Mac, get the most you can for that $1,800 because you can't upgrade it afterwards. And that's a big thing. Now, that being said, yes, all three of us have Macs. I personally love mine. I know Outlaw loves his. I don't really know what Joe feels about his. Love it. Love it. So that's three guys that do Windows development that all three love their Macs. The issue there, though, is that with the, with the budget of $1,800, though, for the Mac... You're going to be locked into a 13-inch yes. uh, MacBook Retina. That that's about that's about as good as it's going to get for that amount of money. And, and like, because I'm trying to like stick rigidly to that budget, right? So check and this so out. So $1,500 gets you uh, the middle of the line 13-inch, which is a 2.7 uh, gigahertz uh, dual core i5, right? Mm-hmm. I5. Now some might be okay with that, but I'm just I want to make sure that like <laughs> that stress that I you're not getting an i7, and that's with eight gigs of RAM and a 256 gig uh, SSD. So right? on Best Buy right now, looking at it, you can actually get one for a hundred bucks more than that for sixteen hundred dollars. It's the 13.3 inch display, like you said, eight gigs of RAM and a 512 gig. Right, Flash. so you're talking about the 2.9 gigahertz yes. dual core i5. Yeah, right. I'm I'm going off of like Apple's. I, I'm sorry, I should have corrected that. I'm going off of Apple's uh, base pricing and not like what you might be able to find off of some random retailer. Because also, by the way, this question comes from the UK. So what's available? You know, Best Buy here in the United States might not be available there. Right. Whatever. So you know, uh, if you were to order from Apple.com, that's where that. Uh, $1,500 price came from. Now, check this out. While on the same Apple thing, and this is kind of interesting. Now, this is not going to be as fast an i7 as what comes in like the uh, Pro, but they have an, a MacBook Air now, the latest model, for 1550 that comes with an i7, 8 gigs of RAM, and 512 gigs of flash storage. Yeah, I, and the reason why I, I didn't want to suggest the Air, though, is that 
if you need to drive any kind of graphics, that's where you're going to die. And also, by the way, I would completely stay away from the MacBook. As a developer, I would stay away from that one. Oh, yeah, the MacBook, not the MacBook Pro. Correct. Yes. Because that has like the, uh, it's the M processor. The M processor, it's a lot slower. So Your so, i5 is going to smoke it. Right. Now, as far as priorities, though, when he asked about that, this is where Vlad's advice comes in. Yep. Yeah. You know, your first priority is SSD, SSD, SSD. Totally agree. So, you know, and that's where, the, you know, with the Macs, you're definitely going to get the faster, you know, SSD because they don't use the SATA form factor. They're using the PCIe form factor. But, you know, I guess it really depends on what you want to use. The The one advantage of buying the Mac and the one reason why I like the Mac hardware is that it's the only piece of hardware that you can legitimately run every operating yes, system on. Totally. Right? So you can, you, you know, if today you want to run OS ten and you want to develop OS ten apps and you want to be able to use everything that Apple creates, then you can. And and I'm excluding the Hackintosh because sometimes with the Hackintoshes, there's, you know, in my experience have been, there have been problems where like you can't install some, some hard, some software because when it does its hardware inspection, it realizes, Oh, this isn't really a Mac and it won't let you install it. Yep. But you know, and so, you know, if you, if tomorrow you decide you want to run Linux or you want to run windows, you can do all of that and you can, dual boot you can triple boot you can you know however you want to run that mac you can and that's the one reason why i like the mac but with that 1800 dollars budget though if you go back over to uh, he had mentioned dell as uh, one in particular mm -hmm. and you look at their xps line this is where that core i5 comes in because not only do you get the same 256 gig ssd but you get the sixth generation core i7 yeah right so and, and that's it that's at 1550 so yeah. for 50 dollars more you went up from an i5 to an i7 yeah i mean even if if you were to blow his entire budget and go for the 1800 they have the 13.3 inch uh xps 13 that's got that i7 16 gigs of ram and a 512 gig solid state well the reason why i'm staying away from the 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 $1,800 limit is because I'm trying to leave some room to like upgrade th some things. So like, I'm just looking at base configurations and that way, if he wanted to throw, you know, a hundred dollars in here to upgrade this or a hundred dollars right. in there, plus taking into consideration tax and shipping and anything like that, I'm leaving a little bit of wiggle room in there for that. So that hopefully by the time all is said and done, it comes out to the $1,800 Range. So what you just said, though, and that was high on my priorities, and it may or may not be to somebody else, is upgradable. The Macs are not, period. Right. Yeah, that's the problem. You buy what you get. So if you only buy 8 gigs of RAM and you find out later you need 16, sorry, guy, you're going to have to go get something else. So that's super important. And the now, Windows let me ask you this. How much memory you have in your machine right now? 16. Joe, how much memory you have in your machine right now? 16. Oh, wow. I'm the, the low man on the totem pole. Yeah. I have I have eight and I haven't had any problems with it, but I'm also not running virtual machines yeah. concurrently. I typically maybe this is one of the reasons why I prefer to just you know dual boot into boot camp rather than using a, a virtual machine. So there's you need Windows for anymore. <laughs> I, it doesn't I have to be Windows, it. it could be Linux. Right. I actually dual boot both. Or no, I don't dual boot. I usually do uh, VMs. But there were a couple other things I wanted to point out here. One in that same price range, you can get a pretty decent Surface Surface Pro 4, which 
depending on what you're planning on doing, like that's 12.2 inch screen, I think the MacBook Pro is only an inch bigger. It's not like world's difference. And depending on your portability needs and that kind of thing. So, wow, you've gone from laptop to tablet. Right. And, and that could be something interesting. But then there's also. Because you're not talking about the Surface Book. No, Pro. no. The Surface Book, it, I feel I like it's, it's pricey. It's too pricey. But the other thing to consider, and this is, and, and as he said, there's tons of choices out there. But if you need discrete graphics, there's a lot of laptops out there that have them that fall in your price range. So, you know, depending on what you're trying to do, if this is truly just a developer machine, then any one of the ones that we just mentioned would more than pan out. If you want to use this for some gaming on the side or something, then maybe you want to look at some of the MSIs out there or any of the Alienwares as well that come with discrete graphics and that kind of thing. So, and just to keep in mind, those MacBooks, those MacBook Pros that we were talking about a second ago, do not have discrete graphics. They've, uh, you know, they've basically got the Intel chip built in. So, I can't find it now. One of the Dells I was looking at though, it had a 4K touchscreen on it. Oh, yeah, that is insane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there really are a lot of options, but prior, prioritization of features, we all agree SSDs up there. For me, memory would probably be next. Like the i5 or the i7 isn't going to matter that much for development purposes. It will a little. Uh, the SSD you're going to see the most performance out of. And then also, for me, how many external monitors can I push with this thing? Can I can I hook up two two monitors? Because if I'm going to set this down on the desk, I'm probably going to do that. So. Yeah, I would, I would say like what, what another thing that would be up there on my list though, like. Pushing multiple external monitors isn't as big, but definitely USB 3 ports mm. are big uh, to do for me. So I, I would want to make sure I had some USB 3 on there. Oh, what were you going to say, Joe? Just thinking, uh, why don't you spend 1,800 pounds and just buy the best MacBook Pro you can get? And then you don't have to worry about any of this other stuff. It's going to have the SSD. Um, you'll get a terabyte. Uh, yeah, it wasn't pounds, dude. It was dollars. Yeah, yeah, he wants you to spend three thousand U.S. dollars now. <laughs> yeah, man, come on, up, uh, up it up. No, but um, the other thing too, though, just to be aware of is software needs. Right, the one thing that I really do love about Mac software, a lot of times if you buy it, like you buy it once, right? Like they're not they're not hitting you up for an upgrade every six months. Which if it's stuff from Apple, if it's that's, stuff from that's Apple, that's going to be yeah. the case. But yeah. You know, you're not going to necessarily use Apple for your... So, one thing I didn't mention was that he's doing uh, you know, mostly front-end dev. So, he's using Node.js for his back-end and Ruby. Uh, so, you know, it, it's not like the most um, process-intensive type of coding environment to begin with. Um, so, so, for example, you know, he's not talking about running Xcode in a simulator... Right, so he's not having to emulate uh, an iOS device, and he's not talking about you know Android uh, Developer Studio and emulating Android devices. So, you know, already you know not having to run those em emulate those devices already takes some processing power out of the equation because you don't you know you're not worried about that. So, I mean, the the Core i fives on the Mac would you know do everything that he would want to do, but you know he would probably be as an editor, probably using something like a Sublime or an Atom, yep. you know, maybe a uh, WebStorm. But, you know, those are all fairly lightweight editors, though. 
yeah. in the Core i5, you're not going to notice the difference. Well, I will tell you this, too. Um, if I remember correctly, and Joe, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that the standard issue Mac for Amazon employees, Amazon developers, are the 13-inch i5s. So, um, I remember. Yeah, so... I mean, it's not like developers can't use these things. I mean, they're, they are they are definitely well-regarded. And by the way, if you go to Amazon and just search for that price range and sort by customer rating, that particular 13-inch MacBook with the 8 gigs of RAM and the 512 for 1600 bucks has 621 reviews with a 4.9. Yeah. That's unheard of. Yeah. And there's a reason. They are fantastic. Little yeah, computers. you you typically at least here in the states you typically typically can buy the Macs from Apple and get you know uh, somewhat of a discount compared to Apple.com, but I don't know what am you know, uh, Amazon.co.uk would translate to, so that's why I went with you know just Apple.com Apple and even Dell.com. So the prices that I mentioned on the Dell, those were coming straight from Dell.com too. So. All right. Hopefully that helped. Um, hopefully. MacBook. <laughs> MacBook. Yeah, I mean, we, we all, I would get one for that price. Well, I will or say the this. Surface like Pro any, any conference you go to, you're going to just see that. I don't care what the language is, but you're going to see MacBooks scattered all throughout that conference. Yep. Or Meetup or, you know, whatever, whatever your choice of developer Meetup or, you know, gathering happens to be. Yep. All right. So, let's get into the meat of this episode, which is really just more of a water cooler conversation, right? So, we're going we're going to keep it kind of light and easy this time. And uh, you know, I I've just had like a bunch of random thoughts that have been on my mind for weeks now that I've just been kind of like writing these down and we'll see where this takes us. All right? Cool. So, you guys ready? Yep. So I think you're going to like the first one, especially Alan. But uh, you ever, as a developer, I, maybe this may be isolated to us. I don't know. But like you'll have your, your, your tools are fine. There's nothing wrong with them. But you just have this urge. There's this like urge inside of you that's like, I need to buy something new. <laughs> and, and, you know, so so, like you'll just like look around, and you'll just get kind of tired of things, right? And so I'm kind of going through that, like now for the past several weeks. My keyboard, I'm like looking for a reason to replace it. <laughs> the batteries died. I really am. It's like, and it's like every time, if there's just the slightest little problem where it doesn't respond, I'm like, oh, it's time. This thing's got to go. <laughs> Uh, let, let me describe, like, we've talked about this Logitech keyboard that I have. It's the, I think it's called the Wave. Yep. I forget the model number off the top of my head, but. Like K520 or 530 I think it was something. like an MK something. I don't yeah. remember. No, because yeah. that would be mouse and keyboard. Um, So it would definitely be a K something. I don't forget. Whatever. We can look it up later. But right. the we, we've linked to it many times before. In in fact, in the la I think in the last time we did the. Uh, uh, the tools, the developer tools. When I think we've talked about it both in both past episodes, I, I I liked this keyboard and I've used this thing so much that I have literally typed the letters off of the keys. Right? They didn't start out like you know how you could buy like a code keyboard and one of the or no maybe it's the DOS keyboard where like one of the options is that the keys are are blank. 
yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Right? And and they're like trying to be like, oh, you know, cool about it. Like, look, it's blank. <laughs> but I've typed mine off. Mine's blank not because it came that way, but just because I've typed them off, right? And and like there's some of the keys that are like so like the plastic is worn smooth and shiny over the time. But I'm just kind of like, man, look at that DOS keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> I want one of those. Like any of the keyboards that we've talked about, like go back to the de- developer tools, like all of those keyboards. I'm like, oh man, what was the Ergodox? Yeah, the the I totally want to do that. Yeah, like I'm, especially the idea of the split keyboard. Yeah, like the like the Ergodox. Yep. I'm like, I have no good reason to buy that keyboard, <laughs> but I so badly want that keyboard. So I get emails from Mastrop all the time, oh which is like headphones. Do not keyboards. forward those to me. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so Ergodox will occasionally be on there for sale for like the entire kit, and you get to choose the cherry switches you want. And so it's like, oh man, let's do it. I can't. I, I need to stop looking at this right now. Yeah. Because I, I totally, I, I'm the same way. Like, I have no good reason whatsoever that I need to do this, but it's like, hmm, I haven't bought anything in a while. Right. <laughs> uh, what is that? <laughs> yep. At least I feel better that it's not just me. So what, what's your what's your latest addiction? I know you've got a stack full of mice over there, Joe. <laughs> what, yep. What's been your latest splurge purchase? Uh, I was passionate about the mice for a while, but you know I don't really get that way about like hardware or cars. I, I just, I just can't. But um, I do get that way about my hobbies. So like, if I'm you know into bike riding a lot, uh, you know, like at the time, like I'll be looking at pedals and uh, handlebars, and <laughs> then I'll get into some you know board game or something. And I'm like, oh, I need to get some plastic sleeves for the cards. <laughs> and, you know, so I, I definitely uh, enjoy spending money. <laughs> I, I really expected Joe to mention his guitar at this point, so I'll do it for him. Oh yes. Yep. Uh, I oh, my guitar doesn't guitar. have enough strings. I should <laughs> yeah. buy a seven string. That's right. And I've got like ten different kinds of uh, guitar strings to change it to. So uh, whenever uh, you know, every two or three weeks <laughs> is up, I change it to try something new. Right. I also updated the pickups in it and did uh, some other work on it. So yeah, I I definitely like things to fiddle on. You know what I just recently bought? Because my sit down stand up desk. I was like, man, I really don't like standing on the floor. So. I was like, okay, I got to buy a standing pad. Oh, right. I've used it twice, I think. Yeah. But, you know, I had to have it. <laughs> it needed to be there. Well, that actually that actually is makes a lot of good sense there for you. It because does. you have hardwood floors. So you standing on a hardwood floor hurt. is horrible for your feet and back, though. Yeah, they hurt. And the pad term. does help. It does help. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The, the, I definitely get that way. I can't. I can't help it. And for me, what Joe said is not his thing, hardware and cars. Like those are the two things for me that are right. problematic. Oh yeah, I know because like every three weeks I hear this rant from Alan about how he wants to buy the Hellcat, <laughs> and I'm it's, like, it's not a rant. It's, it's just been drooling. like how many months has that car been out now? A year. Uh, still doesn't have one yet, but like every week it's like every every three weeks because it'll go for a little while where it's like not so like on on his mind. But now that I've brought it up, oh, I'll definitely be hearing about it tomorrow. <laughs> Look at how gorgeous this car Dude, is it's a Look family at the pictures. car <laughs> i can haul groceries in this thing yeah man fast <laughs> uh, so yes you're not you're not alone yeah well i and i'm totally with you on the cars too i'm the same way with that so okay so we we beat that one but how about this one so we talked about that um 
the plural site course on let's see it was it was uh relay flux graphql and react I believe I named everything. Well, he was using Webpack and Node.js, but yeah, that was all of it. I believe those were the four big ones, though, that I named. And um, you know, so I'm I'm watching this thing, and like it, this thought occurred to me that like as I'm watching this, not only am I like in like the if you haven't watched this presentation, we we linked to it in an episode or two back, um, but it really is a great presentation that the guy get, gives, and. So not only am I just mesmerized and just watching this thing, but you ever have like framework jealousy? Because <laughs> yeah. like you're watching this thing, and you're like, man, why can't it be that easy with the tool set I'm working with? Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Yeah, totally. That's how they get you to change. Yeah, right. So, so what's uh, what framework was it? Well, I, just I what he it. said: yeah. React, Flux. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I GraphQL. Was I I was thinking it was uh, like the specific JavaScript framework. Oh no 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 no! But I mean, just that he was in those frameworks, and it was just kind of like, oh, that looks just looks so nice. I would like to be able to try that, you know. But you know, in the current tool set that we're using, work it's like, well, that's not really going to fly, right? You know, right away. But then at the same time, though, you know, because there's also the uh, oh shoot, what's the term for it? Not the not the framework jealousy, but grass is greener. Um, no, 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 no. There's there's a specific term within the JavaScript community about um, fatigue. Oh yeah, framework for F- fatigue, tool fatigue. Yeah, and and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess if it was that easy to just switch to a new framework, I could see where like you know fatigue would definitely set in because you're like, oh great, thanks for introducing another framework that we all have to learn. Thanks. But we've talked about this before in these plural site courses and anything that you see that somebody's presenting. That's all well prepared because we all know that the simplest of things never is, right? So, you know, even though that course flowed incredibly well, like it really did, you know, he wasn't doing all the complex business problems that you're going to have in a day-to-day, you know, programming type thing. So, yeah, everything looked bright and shiny, but, you know, he had a few drop downs on the page. Like it was nothing major, right? Like... Well, okay. I mean, but but the course that he was providing wasn't on like, you know, hey, let's build the most complicated right. app. It was on, hey, let's go over some of the core features of these frameworks and, you know, we'll use a simple app so that we're not it's concepts. caught up in the complexity of the app. We can just talk conceptually, right? So, I but, mean, that's done on purpose in every every course that you ever watch or take is like that but that's where the jealousy comes in right because you look at it you're like oh man that looks so awesome and not knowing what kind of pitfalls you would hit in that versus the current framework you're working in right that's what i'm saying is like and we've talked about it before is it's real easy to feel like the grass is greener on the other side not having been to that other side right so yeah yeah yeah, there's definitely a lot of truth to that but i will say this too and and (laughs) so i'm I'm not sure if I'm going to be in the minority on this one, and I'm fully prepared to be in the minority. And not only am I prepared to be in the minority, I'm prepared to receive my lashings for what I'm about to say. But, so, I know you watched it, right? You yeah. watched this particular course. And, uh, Joe, did you watch that particular course, too? Not to nope. put you on the spot. Okay. Um, so, then maybe this question is mostly directed to Alan. 
But was your feeling on GraphQL that it was kind of like a JavaScript version of Entity Framework? No. I kind of felt that it was. Because you had to do, you had to set up your schema. You Even in that course, he specifically had a schema object that he set up. And you had to set up all the definitions of it, of like what you wanted it to eventually map to. Right. And you had to set up all this. It was basically like like an entity framework, which is, you know, the the ORM, the popular ORM for C sharp, for those who aren't familiar with it. Um, with entity framework, there are templating tools out there to where it can automatically create your ob, you know, your objects of your it can map your database into objects for you. Right. And in this course, he was kind of doing that, but by hand, right? And that's where it felt like, I was like, well, this is really cool. And if you're definitely only in a JavaScript world, like maybe Node is your backend, right? Then then it feels like this is your entity framework answer for JavaScript. But I was looking at that, that video, watching that video, and I'm like, man, how painful would that be if you are in, you know, you're, you're, you know, using this framework that he had on the front end, which was, you know, React and uh, GraphQL and whatever. But then on the back, a- back end, if all of your server-side APIs were, say, in C-sharp, for example, and, you know, you had Entity Framework on your C-sharp side, and, oh, by the way, because you're using GraphQL, you're recreating your schema objects in there to match what you want to do. So I... I get what you're saying, and I guess if I didn't know about Breeze.js, I would probably agree more, because Breeze.js literally is what you just said. Okay. It's it's almost like Entity Framework in the JavaScript world. Right. Um, where GraphQL, sure, you have set up your schema and your relationships. You have to do that, but I think the part that GraphQL grabbed me was the fact that you tell it how you want the data back, right? And that's that's why it was so... So but how is that any different than like okay let's go back to the let's use entity framework as our example here mm-hmm. an entity framework let's say you had a products table mm-hmm. and it creates a products object and in that products object definition or class definition it has you know a property for each column mm-hmm. that that you know that row would have mm-hmm. right how is that any different than if you in your GraphQL setup you know when you're defining how you want the data back as you put it because you're defining how you want the JSON to look like, right? How yep. is that any different? So the big difference is, let's say that if you're doing this on the server side, right, when you want something like that, it's not like you can just issue uh, a link statement randomly from somewhere and say, hey, give me back the data in this format, right? That would be amazing if you could just say, okay, from my UI, from the client side, I'm going to pass you a link statement. Now give me back all the Are you saying references. link as in like L-I-N-Q? Like- right. So kind of that's what really you the, you kind of can though, right? In C sharp because you could totally do a link statement. Can. Well, that's what you're talking about no, when you said no, link. No, that's what I'm saying. So the the equivalent would be with GraphQL. You can basically say, okay, I want products, and then as a sub array, give me the orders that are associated with it, and then a sub array of that. Show me the customers. Oh, and then on that same level, show me some other information, right? So you can literally say. I want all these things back in one request, and I want it shaped like this. And you can do the same thing in C-sharp. 
you can in C sharp, but you can't do it from the client to a C sharp. So the difference is what I'm saying is right now, the way that everybody thinks about, about server side things is we create oh, RESTful oh, oh, APIs. Okay. Or I see, I see where the disconnect is between us. The disconnect between us is that you're saying that, Hey, just because I requested it this way, I'm assuming that the back end knows how to do that, how to return it back in that way. And in his, okay, this goes back to your point about how this presentation was crafted in a way to, to shape what he wanted to show, mm-hmm. right? And so there it was. Now, he was using a MongoDB, you know, so a document database in his, uh, in his presentation. Mm-hmm. If he had instead been hitting like a C-sharp REST uh, endpoint, right? He's not going to be able to just say, this is what I want back. No. He can. Yeah. Because so the- he shows it. No. Yeah. So check it out. In that same course, and this is why I got so You're gonna excited. You're going to bring up the Star Wars API. The Star Wars API. So what they did with that is there's an existing Star Wars API mm-hmm. set of endpoints, right? They created a schema on top of that that is able to relate those. Right. And, then and he also SQL. makes the point of saying that in that, if I remember right, he made the point of saying that in that case, it was making all the, it was still making all of the individual queries to come back to shape, to return that one thing as one. It wasn't making one query. Correct. And, and I don't care about the one query. What I'm saying is the beauty between for GraphQL to me, yeah, you got to set up schema. You got to set up things for anything that you want that does things for you, right? That doesn't, that's not what did it. It was the fact that, so in typical web programming or client server type programming things today, if you have like say an order, right? And let's say that you have an order API and an order detail API. Typically the way things happen nowadays, unless you write custom stuff server side, you're going to retrieve that order and then you're going to, okay, that order came back. All right, now I have the order ID. Now go retrieve the order details. So you made two requests to get that data back. Whereas with GraphQL, behind the scenes, what happens is you tell it, hey, I want the order and the order details back in this one request that I make. Now, behind the scenes, what that does is that makes a query up to the GraphQL but engine. But behind the scenes in this case is still client side. So it's not really behind the scenes. It's still just behind. It's still in the. Yes, because in that Star Wars For example. GraphQL. No, the Star Wars. So the Star Wars is server side. The Star Wars example, though, what I'm saying, though, is that like he wasn't issuing a single request to the Star Wars API and getting back multiple results, right? If I recall, he said that it was still making like multiple you requests. You can go play with it. No, you can go play with it. That's what's oh, so cool. Are you guys losing me? What's the Star Wars API? Okay, so it's it's <laughs> if you look for Swappy, SW API, and then GraphQL, it'll pretty much bring up the GitHub page. And then from there, you can well, this actually... This is amazing. Dude, from there, you can actually click it and if you start typing, you can make, you can shape the data that comes back, which is insane. So you can say query and then open. I, I can't even remember the syntax now. Okay, so. it was. It, hold on. Let me just give out the URL because it was GraphQL dash SW API. So Star Wars API dot parsap dot com yep. was the one that he used in the um and, and then that brings up, so here, I, I'll walk you through it real quick. Start typing or, or do control space, just like your favorite editor, and you're going to get query, all right? So do that, and then open up a, um, uh, do a curly brace, and then do a control space, and you're going to see all films, film, all people, person, whatever. 
go ahead and do all films and then do another curly brace. And then from there, you can say, okay, give me the page info. And then from that, you can say, all right, open up another curly brace. And you don't even have to do colons, by the way. You can do all kinds of crazy crap. But basically, then you just run this thing, and it will bring back the data in the, uh, so I might have done mine wrong. But so what it does is it shapes it by making one request to the server. GraphQL goes and calls all the endpoints that it needs to to bring that data back. GraphQL is on the, on the client side. On the server side. It is not the client side. This this page that we're looking at is the client side. GraphQL is all running on the server is basically middleware that is now calling all those various different APIs depending on how you want to shape that data. And that is slick. That is why it is so sexy. It has n- it's really Okay, so but still my point was it was still making the multiple calls though. No, it's making one call. You just call. said it. It's making one call from the client to a server and then GraphQL is wrapping those REST APIs to make there, those. Yes. There's your multiple calls. Yes. Okay, so we agree that there are multiple calls from the server. You're okay, only fine. making one from your client. Fine. Fine. So okay, that's I'll, a big I'll concede, distinction. I'll concede on that. That's I'll, a big I'll concede distinction. on that point. Okay. Yep. But you're still though like I'm not saying that I wouldn't love to work with this thing. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is that if let's say that it was a it was a an e-commerce project, right? Mm-hmm. And on your server side, your 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 C sharp in uh, REST endpoints in this in this case that we mentioned, this hypothetical case, you know, it has its own copy of what the schema looks like, and now you have another copy of this thing. But in a JavaScript form. And I get that what you're saying is like, you know, and I, and I like that about it, that it is a little bit more looser about it. But it's still like, man, that seems like it could become a nightmare to maintain. I, I would think that like with anything, like with Entity Framework, for instance, if that were the case, there's going to be tools out there that map that stuff, right? Well, that's the point is that on entity, like on an Entity Framework, you do have a generator that would um, do that for you, right? But in the case of a GraphQL, you wouldn't. I think you... It, I, I don't know. I mean, again, I I'm haven't... I'm getting totally lost here. We start so, over? <laughs> so, so, All right. so check it out, Joe. I just pasted in a thing, and you can run it, and you'll see how it shapes the data coming back. If you paste that into that page... Yeah, oh. I get awesome results, and I get that. It goes off and um, figures out how it needs to query this stuff. And all I care about is what the, the format that I want. And I just, I basically define the data that I want and it's responsible for getting it back. Exactly. Right? That is the all key. Right. Whereas everything else we've always done client server is you build your server side endpoints and then you make everybody conform to those. Right. And yep. that is where I think this is so genius. You have your UI guy, you say, Hey dude, go write your GraphQL query. Um, you have context sensitive type stuff here. You just hit control space and it'll pull up the things you can do. You tell it what you want, man. It's all on you. I kind of feel like it's uh, like writing a select clause in a query without the from. It, it's so amazing. No joins. It just uh, this is what I want. And I mean, you know, it kind of is like, like that though. I mean, that's yeah, pretty cool. I know you're kind of joking, but I'm always yeah. kind of joking. It's <laughs> my stick. So. All right. So what here was the here original was, question, though. Here was an, a what? What was it? What were what was the topic? What were we talking about? Oh, I, I was I was uh, getting my lashings for saying that. Uh, oh, it's kind of like GraphQL was kind of like Entity okay. Framework. Yeah, if you look up Breeze JS, that is straight up Entity Framework on the client. 
Yeah, I wouldn't say it was straight. I was just saying it was kind of like. Yeah, now GraphQL just to me is more of a tool for UI or client-centric people to be able to say what they want, well, as opposed to here's what you have access to, here's what what you want. But here's 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 where I was coming with that though, like because with Entity Framework, you could totally write a link query that could return back an anonymous object that would be like whatever you wanted it to, whatever data you wanted to have come back. But you're defining that hard, like. If you say, if you say, for instance, you wanted to create this thing, well, it's compiled, so yes, it's going to be yes. a little bit harder than JavaScript. No, like, not, or, not or harder. Not, not that JavaScript isn't compiled, but it's concrete, is what I'm saying. Is if you want a particular query, because it's into a compiled into a binary format that yes. you can't modify. Sure, I'll, I'll give you that, but yes. I'm not talking about from like, you know, um, <laughs> trying to be like, oh God, I wish the words for it. I'm not trying to be that specific. I'm I'm just saying that like conceptually, when you're working in an entity framework environment, right, you could write queries that are, you know, if you wanted to just return back a random thing that isn't really a type in the database, yeah, yeah. you could totally return those you back. You project and, those, right. And, pro and, you know, iterate over those or whatever you needed to do. So, whatever, I think we beat that one to the point, you know, enough, but. Um, well, here's what I want to know. Oh. Right, this is clearly really cool. Um, we can have a link where you can check this out. But what I want to know Again. is, is it so cool that we're all going to be working with this three years from now? Or is this like cool, neat trick? You know, well, next? I mean, it's not going away anywhere. This is this is out of the Facebook lab. So this isn't going away anytime soon. And they use it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, right, React, Flux, GraphQL. I mean, this is all, you know, in their... Uh, wheelhouse of technology tools that they use so i mean so is this like the future of rest so you know is it that yeah cool? yeah i mean like to answer that specific question i feel like this is a bigger deal than a lot of the other frameworks out there like you know you've got react you've got angular you've got all these things right this actually changes the way you think about doing things where those frameworks are like they're they're made to help you accomplish things. This makes you think about, oh man, we can actually enable somebody to do something. So, in my well, opinion, actually, I kind of feel it's like not thinking about it because the flip side is, oh, I got to think about this endpoint, and they're going to want back all this specific data. Yes. And with GraphQL, you're like, you know what? Let them figure out what they want. Yep. I'm just going to provide a bunch of different endpoints, and they can figure out how they want to like cobble it together. Yep, and, and that's why I think yes, this is. Maybe not this particular technology, I don't know, but this way of thinking, I think, will will start permeating its way into development. All right, so I guess we're going to have to give, you know, like, you know, um, Alan one, Michael zero. <laughs> I guess, I, guess I, I got beaten pretty good on that one. I don't know. I still feel like it's kind of like, you know, just because of the fact that you're defining a schema and you might have to be doing it in multiple places. You do have set up your mappings and so, that is additional work, no doubt. And, and like, you know, in that example that he gave it, it's rather small, but on a large project, that seems like it could become tedious. So at any rate, we beat that one enough. So, um, we've had people write in before and complain about, uh, resharper and how they don't like it and how it slows things down. And I even just recently heard you, Alan, mention the same thing, mm -hmm. which kind of shocked me because I was like, wait a minute, what? When did that happen? When did Alan stop using ReSharper specifically because he was complaining about it being slow? It's been it's been a while. 
Like I, I seriously got to the point where I was like, I, I feel like I'm waiting for things too much. And as soon as I uninstalled it, everything was good. So I was like, you know what? As much as I love it, I'm just not going to deal with it. So, Would you feel differently if you were 100% C sharp? Maybe that that yeah. that's a very good question. I, I probably split my time seventy five front end, twenty five C sharp. So, yeah, if I was doing a bunch, no, of, he is totally lying. He is totally lying. He he splits his time. His time is probably like, um, you know, a thousand percent SQL, a hundred percent JavaScript, uh, and like. Some five percent C sharp. Now, I'm not a mathematician, <laughs> so I think I have the percentages. I think those add up correctly. Uh, that might be true, but yeah, yeah I, I think I think that's a good point. If I was doing C sharp, eighty percent of my day, I would probably go back to ReSharper and just bite the bullet and be like, you know what, the headaches or the or the slowness and my computer fan sounding like a jet engine. Are probably fine. Well, now here's why I bring it up, though. So, when you, I think we've talked about this before about how, um, I believe it was with ReSharper Ultimate, or maybe it was with ReSharper Nine. Um, but I had uh, upgraded it without even thinking about it, installed it, and then within the first month was like, oh my gosh, I gotta get rid of this. And I, I forget what the specific problem was that I was having. I think there was like a specific bug or something that I was having issue with at that time. And and so I was like, well, I, I can't work like this, so I, I needed to uninstall it. And, uh, but I forget how many months ago that was, but I have since, you know, reinstalled it long ago and have been continuing to use it. But the one thing that I did different this time that... I have never in the history of my ReSharper usage done is that when you install ReSharper, it gives you this option of, hey, do you want to use the ReSharper key bindings or do you want to use the Visual Studio key bindings? And historically, I have always stayed with the Visual Studio key bindings. And my reasoning was because, like, well, why do I need to learn the ReSharper key bindings? I already know the Visual Studio ones. Let me just continue yep. with that. But because of my growing <laughs> love affair with WebStorm, <laughs> you know, I decided, well, yeah, if I'm already using WebStorm so much, you know, I'll just use the WebStorm key bindings. And then that way, you know, it applies to both IDEs, right? Right. And, Yeah. You use the key, the resharper key bindings in Visual Studio, and yeah, it's slower. Really? Yeah. And that's why really? I'm wondering, like, is that how you've set it up? And I'm wondering for, like, other listeners that have complained about it, is that how they've set it up? Because there have been times where, like, I want to do something as simple as comment out a file, and resharper will pop up a little window saying resharper is thinking. And I'm like, thinking about what? Right. Add two <laughs> slashes to the front of the line and move on, pal. Right. No, I definitely went with the uh, Visual Studio key bindings because I was in the same boat at the time. I knew Visual Studio, so I was like, yeah, I don't want ReSharpers. So hmm. that that's most definitely what I used. Are, are you still using ReSharper, Joe? No, and that's a similar reason to you. Um, I basically, I figure I'm doing about 30% C-sharp right now. And what I kind of told myself is if I get back to 50% or you know, if there's at least a – a week-long period where I'm doing it over 50%, I'm going to reinstall it. But 
for now. It's just it's not worth the slowness when I'm doing JavaScript or SQL. Type wow, work. listen to you both. Wow, I, I never feel, thought I would say that. I feel like I've just been deserted. I'm here on this little island all by myself. This little island of Resharper. <laughs> well, yep, you, you remember JetBrains is never going to sponsor us now. By the way, so yeah. thanks, guys. way to go, guys. Way to go. Well, you remember though, back I think it was version seven. I absolutely loved version seven. There was no real discernible difference between speed with or without it. But the tools were amazing. And then it seemed as it progressed, it just got slower and slower and slower. And I was like, okay, I can't hit. It's like you say, go to comment out of line and wait for 20 seconds. And it's like, I don't have time for this. Yeah, but that's literally the only problem that I've noticed there is hmm. with the key bindings. And and I haven't tried it yet, but I, I've been meaning to. I just haven't had the, the downtime to, to mess with it. But um, I have been wanting to uninstall ReSharper and then reinstall it, but go back to the Visual Studio key bindings and see if I notice that. And in in fairness to ReSharper, when it does that, you know, ReSharper is thinking crap. Then it's not. Um, it, it's it's usually like after I have just recently opened the solution or something like that, and yeah. Um, and it'll do that. So it's building up its caches and everything. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, fine. You know, I mean, this is stupid, but <laughs> I'm willing to kind of like give you a pass because at least once you get running, then it's fine. And I don't have any problems with it. But to say that you're not going to use it, like, how do you do unit testing without it? Like, like. Copy and paste. Oh, Visual Studio <laughs> runs and unit test now. Yeah, but come on, man. Like, I got to have my dot cover. In 2015? Oh, yeah. Well, the, the plug in. Yeah, I mean, I just did that today, as a matter of fact. Like, I don't know. I mean, there's some things that I miss about ReSharper, but there was nothing. The The refactoring was really good in it, right? But I, I, I'm a big fan of the refactoring capability. The but the formatting was also very nice. But, but, the, but the testing, though, that, that's a deal breaker for me, though. There's no way I could not have my dot .cover, ReSharper and dot .cover in there. Yeah, I, I just, I felt like the pains of living with it were worse than the pains of living without it. Hmm. And you know what, um, I'll say that um, I still have a license and I still use it for like pretty much any personal project that I'm doing in C Sharp. And I think that it has to do a lot with the size of your project. So yeah. if you're in a small project, you'll never notice the difference. If you're in a ginormous, you know, bazillions of lines of codes project, then you, that's probably when you're going to notice the problems. Or at least that's when I have. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point, though, but I think I've seen my keybinding problem on smaller ones, though. Huh. Hmm. I think. I could be wrong. Hmm. Now I want to go back and test that. Maybe I'll give it another shot here soon. I just haven't had the desire. Blasphemy. Uh, wow. it, it really is, because I loved it. I absolutely loved it until I didn't. It's crazy talk. <laughs> it's kind of like the X, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. And, uh, Visual Studio has also added a lot of features that I really liked. So yeah, 2015 stepped up its game a lot. Yep. All right. So let me just say first off that everyone that has already taken the time to leave us a review, like I know that we've said that we appreciate it, but we are not lying when we say that we do truly, truly mean it. It really does mean a lot to us. And, and if you haven't already left us a review, Now's your time. <laughs> pause. <laughs> so no, you can keep listening. There's no reason to pause. Um, because the next piece of important information might help you. So you can head over to www.codingblocks.net slash 
review. And uh, you know, there's some helpful links there to send you over to iTunes or to Stitcher to, to leave a review for us. Um, if you don't have iTunes already installed and you install it, hey, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> right. <laughs> that That's a huge effort on your part, and we truly appreciate it. But but do know that it, it really does uh, put a smile on our face when we read those reviews, though. Yeah, and for all you guys who have actually requested Slack invites and, you know, left us, you know, nice little reviews in those as well, we appreciate them. If you wouldn't mind, just copy and paste those invites. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, thank you for the kind words for everybody who spent the time doing it. It's it's huge. Speaking of Slack, uh, you all should join Slack. It's a lot of fun, and uh, there's a lot of really interesting characters in there that are always dropping excellent knowledge. And I feel like I'm learning something new every day and, and definitely getting lots and lots of chuckles. Yeah. Which brings me to another topic because my Slack invites are better than yours. True. Absolutely. <laughs> my, mine is invite sent. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, if, if, if you have been a lucky recipient of one of the responses from me on your Slack request you can understand what I'm getting at because if you simply received a, uh, you know, invite sent from Alan or there's Joe, a, there's an exclamation. It's well, okay, it's awesome in mind. <laughs> but what I mean though is, it's like it's kind of you know, like just boring. <laughs> then, then you understand because I because even if I do, like now, admittedly, like some of my first ones when we first started doing it were were rather lame like that. But I, I quickly grew tired of that. <laughs> but there have been times where, like, even if I have said something as boring as invite sent, I've tried to put, like, little Easter eggs elsewhere. And I don't know if you've caught any of those. I have, have you? Not, no. Joe, have you? I've seen a few, yes. There there have been some awesome ones. Like, like here's an example of, like, where it'll say, like, uh, sent from Alan's iPhone. <laughs> yep. Shh, don't tell him. <laughs> I, that is actually the one I was thinking of. Uh, my favorite is still absolute slack and lootly. Absolutely. Yeah, that that was a good one. Um, I started doing that one for a while. Yeah. But, but you know the problem about you making this public now? This Everyone's is, gonna expect it. Yeah. So like it's almost like when somebody tells you that, man, that movie was so amazing. And you get there, you're like, I didn't really get Oh, it. I, I thought you were gonna say like uh the movie had some awesome scene after the credits and now every movie has to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, you're setting yourself up now. Everybody's going to expect higher. You should have just kept the bar the bar low. Yeah, I, <laughs> no, I probably I, should have. But honestly, though, I've had fun trying to come up with like creative little things to put in there. And then sometimes, sometimes I'll really be like, and it's stuck. And I'm like, ah, man, what should I put there? But yeah, and and also too, like sometimes, like a, a joke will come to mind, like something I should say, and I'm like, you know. I probably shouldn't say this because I don't exactly know what part of the world this person's from. Right. And, you know, not every joke in text form is going to translate well. Um, so maybe maybe I won't use that. So this is his, also his public apology. <laughs> yeah, it's just the inner thoughts of my head, you know, you're getting to listen to. So sorry. Yeah, it's me and Joe are the boring slack replies. Yeah, now I have to apologize for being boring. Thanks, Michael. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, that that's my way of helping the the listeners or anyone who does future requests because now I'm I'm kind of like throwing the gauntlet like you guys got to step up your game here. I actually know what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to wait for you to reply to them all. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to leave it as homework for me. Thanks. Right. Wow. Wow. So you guys want to guess how many people we have uh, who have joined our Slack channel? 250. 
Oh. No. Uh, 212. 212. Wow. Yep. Yeah. And you guys should join too because uh, it's awesome. It, it is, is growing awesome. fast. It's pretty amazing. And, and there are just incredible people. More in than there. 200 other like minded developers for you to chat with. Yeah. What's your favorite channel? Ooh. Dev Talk. Yeah, I think Dev Talk's like probably Dev Talk. my favorite too. Yeah. I also like dieting too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one too. Yeah. Yeah. I, hmm. Yeah, Dev Talk's probably my favorite, and I like General too because even though we have a random channel, that's where most of our random stuff goes. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does like like the Michael OneDrive, I believe, happened in in General. Yeah. yeah, which if you missed that, then you missed some awesome humor there. But um, all right, so what we got next? <laughs> oh, sorry, I was playing Stardew Valley. Didn't what's going on? Uh. <laughs> no, I think it's time we we do an ad spot. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's your turn, right? Thinking about becoming a software developer? Check out Dev Bootcamp, the original short-term immersive software development program that transforms those new to coding into job-ready, full-stack web developers. Learn front and back-end web development, teamwork, and leadership skills in a rigorous and inclusive environment. Dev Bootcamp has several locations around the country and is accepting applications now. Visit devbootcamp.com slash coding blocks to learn more. All right. So in the last episode, we have fun with our surveys as always. And the survey was related to get one of my favorite topics, squash or not to squash. Now, Alan's already got a smile on his face. Does that mean you cheated, Alan? I have not looked, but apparently I won. All right. Wait, what? <laughs> what are you doing? All right. So here were your options, okay? I squash because I care, meaning that you do squash. Or everyone can learn from my path. I don't squash. Or, wait, what are they talking about? <laughs> or I suppose, but only if it's convenient. Now... Joe and Alan, you haven't cheated, right? You haven't already looked at the results. I haven't even looked at the emails that come through. Okay. Alan, or I mean Joe? I have not, but I did want to point out that since we started that survey, uh, GitHub has actually added the feature to do this well as well via checkbox. Okay. Well, we'll come back to that. Hold on. So, of your four options, squash, don't squash, what? Or, I suppose... Which one do you think was the overall winner? Do you want to, or do you want to do like a one, two, three, four? Like you want to rank which ones, or you just want to give the overall winner? Overall, I know winner. the winner is already. Oh my god, Joe, did you cheat? No, I just know. Oh. Every, everyone can learn from my path. <clears throat> All right, no. what percentage do you think it is? You think it's you think 60. everyone sixty? Wow, you think it had a commanding lead at sixty percent? Okay, sixty yeah. percent of the vote, Joe. Which one do you think? I think that. If it's convenient, got seventy five percent. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Both of you guys are like confident Boom. in your answer. <laughs> yeah. If if you weren't lazy, you wouldn't be a programmer. That that is true. <laughs> that's kind of true. Yeah. That's kind of that's a Larry Wall quote too. So, yep. yeah. Well, you're both wrong in your percentages. I'll okay. go ahead and like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you down easy. Um, but Joe, you're more wrong than Alan is. <laughs> so I'm not surprised. I hate that he won. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and say that. 
Like, uh, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going home. <laughs> Allen two, outlaw zero. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> so that really that makes it hurt even more. <laughs> so everyone can learn from my path. Don't squash. One with 34% of the vote. Oh, that wasn't oh, super high. Okay. No, that's why I was so excited that you both went like so confident. Like, <laughs> everyone thinks the way I think. All right, so then. So Joe, Joe's was second place. Yes. I suppose, but only if it's convenient, is 25% of the vote. And then tied for third place was I squashed because I care at 20.5%. But then. Wait, Wait, what what? are we talking about? (laughs) Was equally tied with it. Like, what? What? Oh, that's amazing. Why why is that equally tied? What Uh, percentage of people or working developers do you think are not working with the distributed version control system? Oh, I'd say a large. That's an interesting question. I'd say a large. I'm going to guess 22%. So, yeah. So, at any rate, Alan, two, Michael, zero. Well, if you ever want to feel better, we can go play tennis. Oh, my God. <laughs> that would make me feel a lot better. <laughs> it would. Actually, actually, you and Joe. Uh, sure, I feel good. I feel comfortable with that. Actually, I feel comfortable with that. Um, yeah, 34% agreed with Alan. Yeah, baby. That's never happened. <laughs> it's usually 60. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Walking around the puddle or through Okay, it. so so to to um Joe's point that he that he brought up though. So GitHub recently introduced a feature um where when you merge in a pull request, there's now a checkbox to where you can um squash the commit as you merge the pull request in. And um, Visual Studio Online also has this feature, and surprisingly, they introduced it before GitHub. Yep. Boom. Um, but uh, so that's one way to squash your commits, but I kind of have my own reservations about that. Huh. Um, so I don't, I don't know like what your thoughts are in that scenario, but because if you aren't the author of that, if if you are the author of that and you just and you are the one who gets to push the button to to merge the pull request in, it's already been approved, but you get to merge it in and you get to squash the commits, then I'm okay with that. But if somebody else does that behind you, hmm. then that's where I kind of take issue with it because now if you're still the author of it and you start merging in things, you're because they squashed it, it's going to be different commit IDs and now in your local repo, it's going to look like th- your commits have never been merged in. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. So you should never merge other people's pull requests? Um, no, I'm okay with merging other people's pull requests. I feel un- uncomfortable about squashing Somebody their else's. commits. Yeah, okay. That's the part that I, I'm not so crazy about. But hmm. So I guess it depends on the repo and, you know, what the rules of it, you know, that of that community are and everything, but I don't know, just my random thought on that one. Yeah, that's interesting. So, Joe had an idea for our next poll. Joe, do you want to intro that one? Yeah, so uh, a recent uh, announcement from the Build Conference that's been making some waves is that Bash is coming to Windows. And uh, there's a lot of talk about what that means for PowerShell and Windows and Docker and all sorts of stuff. And so what I want to know is um, what you guys think about this 
And uh, specifically, I want to know if this is the next big awesome thing or if this is just a bunch of hype and no one's going to use it. And uh, I've seen things go both ways. I've been um, right and wrong about things like this in the future. So I want to know what you guys think. Bash so, on Windows. So can I sway the jury? <laughs> or nothing. Why not? You can try. Well, because I, I was so successful last time. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> Dang it. But. Uh, if if they were to do it right, if it was a, a you know truly compliant bash environment, like a like you know what you would get on any other Linux environment, this could be amazing for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know about for you, but it'll be amazing for me. For me, <laughs> that that part's key for me. Yeah, no more Git bash, right? Well, yeah, because like you know, well, Alan's converted me over to Connie Mew. But, um, yeah, I would totally, I wouldn't have to install anything else. It would just already be there. Yep. Right? Well, I'd have to install, you know, a Git client. But I like the idea a lot. <laughs> and and I'm not necessarily a Bash lover, but I really like the idea of having something that would be consistent between my environments. But my thing that I'm afraid of is that it won't be consistent. It won't be a full-on, okay, because, like, for example, if you're in PowerShell, and you do an LS, it'll try to act like it's doing a listing the same as what you would get in any kind of Unix environment. Right. Right. But, but the flags don't work. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's really just an alias for a PowerShell, you know, for a shortcut, you know, in PowerShell. So it's not the same thing. And that's what I don't want them to do. If they're going to do it, then be all in and do it. So is this going to kill Sigwin? Oh, is it already, isn't it already dead? Like, I don't know. I mean, it. I, I mean, I, I know where you're going with that, but but yeah, I mean, I, I've, I haven't been using that for a long time. Oh, only because Git Bash is good enough, and then mm-hmm. and then some of the other it, ones are. It, it's that that like you know eighty percent rule, right? If yep. it, it's it gets eighty percent done of what I need to do, so it's the f- it's good enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm. I, I would be interested in how well this turns out. I mean, it, it would be nice to have the same type terminal. Yeah, and my prediction is that it's going to be really good because, like, even right now, I'm primarily for years now I've developed on Windows, but I still think in terms of LS and CAT and curl, and you know, I think these things have kind of entered the programmer vocabulary. So if someone tells you to curl something, you probably know what that means. But if you're working in Windows environment, you might have to Google, you know, invoke dash web request or whatever it is in in PowerShell. See, that's the Um, thing is like, what do they mean when they say bash though? Because bash isn't all of these other commands that you're talking about. Right. So, So, yeah. So, because the bash is just the shell, right? I mean, you know, corn shell is another one that, you know, some people are, you know, adamant about. But those other commands that you mentioned are not part of either. Right, and so but that's what I'm talking about. Is, is I want all those other commands to go along with it. I want to be able to type in a tail minus f <laughs> on a log file instead of some stupid PowerShell git content dash wait dash whatever, and then it, half the time it doesn't even work right. Hmm. I hate that command. I don't. But they don't have to do any right, string but. processing, which is nice. But so I do love PowerShell. Don't get me wrong. But I do think this is ultimately a good thing. But I also, if my understanding is correct, and it may not be, it's often not, uh, I think everything is going to kind of work like you might expect upon hearing it. And that's because they basically swapped out some lower level calls with the Windows API. And so while it may not come with like, say, curl or some of the, the bashier type things, 
um, or you know Z shell or type things. I think you're going to be able to get those things, and they're just going to work because the stuff that they rely on just kind of works. That's awesome. So fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully we haven't swayed any opinions. There. Well, and and if we did sway find... any opinions, I hope we swayed them in my direction. Yeah. Well, I know for a fact that like each one of us is going to find one thing about it that drives us nuts that isn't quite perfect, and we're going to complain about it. Well, of course, we never. Yeah. Of course. Programmers don't complain about anything. <laughs> We're actually, the nicest group of people. Actually, hold on. I think the one thing that almost every programmer will complain about is what we talked about with ReSharper earlier. Performance, right? We can get by with a lot of nitpicky stuff, but if you kill the performance of what we're working in, we can't take it. Right. Well, speaking of announcements from Build, what about the new version of SQL Server coming for Linux? That's pretty neat. That's yeah, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> really? No, that was. <laughs> I did not. Expect yeah, I mean, that. if I'm going to be dropping the money on the SQL Server, then like, what's a Windows license? Yeah, right? put it on the box, right? Yeah, I think it's more about the portability, though, right? Yeah, so you know, it's cool. Whatever. <laughs> Whatevs. <laughs> I was I was thinking of it more from the point of view of like simplicity to to access it, hmm. right? Like start executing your queries from a from a bash shell. Wait, does this mean they're going to be replacing that terrible installer where it's like got all these icons and like how do I just install SMS? I don't know. Oh gosh, and it's like you go through like a fifteen thousand steps, and each time you think like, okay, I'm done, and then you realize, oh no, that was just a checklist for the next step. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and by the way, like I don't know if that's going to include actually being able to run queries from a bash shell. <laughs> I would imagine yeah. it would. You can run. You can run queries. Oh, from that's a, a big prompt. imagination. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm curious to see if it's actually going to work. I mean, that's a that's a pretty big undertaking. Well, I mean, they demonstrated it working, so it's working. Hmm. Define working. Right, right. With everything yeah. that you currently have. I'm yeah. Let someone else try test drive that one first. Right. I just wonder what the cost will be. Right. I mean, SQL Server has not gotten cheaper over time. No. Well, imagine, but okay, but if we can like live in, you know, we're, we're already like, this is a, a journey into my mind with all these questions I'm asking anyway. So let's go further and say like, what if, you know, Microsoft has been making a big push into the open source community here lately. And, you know, there's the community edition of Visual Studio. And, and for years, there have been a free developer version of uh, SQL Server. What if they came out with a free version for Linux of full-on SQL Server, use it however you want, why would they do that? That's, that? So I get the open source thing. It's like a drug dealer. They give you a taste for free, right? The first one's free, and then they get you hooked in, right? So, so Isn't I, that the way it always works? That's, that's an interesting take. I, so here's my thought on Visual Studio. By making free additions... That is absolutely brilliant, right? Because you get people on board with your tools that buys them into that environment. Okay, well, this is the same thing then. SQL Server, though, is your workhorse, right? Like, that is that is your data storage. That is your retrieval. That is that is enterprise software. No, no, no. But but they can, I mean, they could for, starter, they've ar- for starters, they've already for years given away a free developer version of SQL Server. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <clears throat> and, and... Well, not you know, developer. That's SQL that's Server Express. Developer, not developer. Developer is actually eighty bucks. Um, they're yeah. The SQL Server Express has limitations. Like no, I, I think, I think they changed. There was a developer version. 
Yeah, it was. You always had to pay for the developer because it's essentially enterprise for developers, is what it is. But but either which way, yeah. If you made it, if you made it free, yeah. I don't. I I'm don't saying know. like you could still they could still scale back the functionality, yeah, of it, the totally. feature set of it. So it wouldn't have to like. It wouldn't you know, be enterprise. Full text indexing, maybe right. not be an option. You know, maybe uh, what other other like in the in that wizard of like a thousand different things that you have to decide. <laughs> maybe a few of those are not enabled <laughs> in this in this free Linux version that I'm saying hypothetically. What if this thing existed? It would be. I mean, if you think about it, for all Windows developers or people who develop on Windows, I should say, it would be kind of cool to have your same database engine run in a Linux environment like that. That's, I don't know. That's pretty neat, but because it, hypothetically, know. if they did make this thing, right, then my SQL could have some free, some have some competition at the free level. Yep. Right. And then in my SQL already has a huge following. Oh, major. So there's your incentive. Why Microsoft might want to consider something like that. Cause now what if you can sway some of those people to consider Hey, what maybe SQL Server can do something more for me? Let me get a taste of it, and then, you know, once that group of developers, their company becomes the next big thing, and they're like, "Hey, let me scale up now." And they buy support like most of the MySQL right. people. They yeah. they move on, or they move on to a larger edition of SQL Server. So be I mean, interesting. Yeah, there's all kinds of reasons why they would maybe want to do that. Yeah, I I, I really am looking. Don't rule to it see. out. Yeah, I would like to see what happens with that. Yeah, it's gonna be exciting to see. So they saw those MacBooks that build, and they're like, "Oh man, yeah, uh, I see it coming." <laughs> so, so here's this random thought that I had. We were talking about rest endpoints earlier, and I, I was working with a, a rest endpoint here recently that shall go unnamed, <laughs> uh -oh. and it was not PayPal though. Oh, okay. Good. Um. <laughs> no, this was actually a good one. And <laughs> I, if there are any PayPal developers listening to us, I'm sure they just stopped. Um, if if you if you develop a REST API, right, and your REST API requires that users download and install something in order to use it, mm. right? Like like you know something as simple as an SDK. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Are are you doing it right? For rest, that's pretty crazy. I mm. and for soap, you know, I'm kind of used to that sort of thing. Yeah, required is the strong because I mean, even AWS, right? Like you pretty much want to download the SDKs because it makes your life a lot easier. Are you doing it right? I mean, people could argue that Amazon's probably doing it the best. Well, okay, so you brought up AWS as an example, right? Right, And and I jokingly referred to this not being PayPal, and it, it truly wasn't PayPal. <laughs> but, um, you know, in either case, you would have to, like, let's go, let's stay in a Visual Studio environment here, right? Um, you would have to install a NuGet package that corresponds with their API if you were going to use their API, right? I if you were in a, a Java environment, you Say would have... Say what? Say what? Can I just hit a URL? Well, yeah, but then the problem becomes you end up reinventing all of everything that they have in their SDK because they've already you know, broken out like how to interpret their responses, you know, how to interpret their JSON response 
and how to build, you know, what the matching object should look like and the functionality of that object, what it should have, you know, they've already done all that for you. So sure, don't use theirs, but you're going to end up reinventing everything, right? Yep. And, and, you know, similarly, if you were to do this in a Java environment, right, you'd still end up downloading some package and, you know, Im- importing that into your project. So either way, but it, it's, you know, because what, what this was Splunk okay. was the one. And, and it just kind of like hit me at first because I was like, you know, wow, REST started out as supposed to be this like simple thing, right? And. But now it's like, well, most like big players like a Splunk or a PayPal or an AWS, you're not using their API without downloading their uh, client package, right? right? Whether it be a NuGet package or you know whatever, right? You're you're not getting away without using that unless you just really like pain, like Joe apparently <laughs> likes pain, you know, so. It, it just kind of struck me as odd as like how like it evolved into like, well, <laughs> you you know, yeah, it's rest. Right. But you're not just making some simple web call. You're, you, you know, you're the rest part of it is, is just completely abstracted away from you. You might not even know what the rest endpoints right. are that it's hitting. You're just making a method call. That's right. All you know, I, so I, I have mixed, mixed feelings on that. I think the SDKs, don't necessarily mean you're doing it wrong. I think it's almost a side effect of using strongly typed languages, right? Only from the perspective that, so you get back an array of things, basically is what you're going to get from a REST type call, right? And if you don't have some sort of typing or wrapper around it in an SDK form, like you said, you got to parse all that stuff out. And in a and in a static language, like, do you really want to be doing a bunch of dynamic uh, variables and stuff in your C sharp to try and you know inspect those things. Now, granted, you probably could, you probably could go and create all your other classes. Like you know that this is the format that's coming back, and you could do something like a dapper, right, to where you can map this array of things into a bunch of objects. But the SDK, if it's not doing anything completely over the top. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because usually it's just really turning what the response was into usable objects, right? Yeah, I mean, usually. usually hopefully. <laughs> now, with Amazon, with the AWS stuff, though, they, they take it a step further. You have your public, your private keys and all that, and it does some concatenation and some and some right. base encoding and all that to, you know, securely, you know, transfer your credentials. They do add some helper functionality right. in. And, and so I don't think that's a bad thing, but... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of like leading you guys with the, you know, are you doing it right? But it, it did kind of strike me as odd as I as I was thinking about like, wow, how this thing has evolved into it's not just a simple request, like, right. you know, because you know, Joe, you brought up soap, right? And yep. like one of the problems that people had with soap was how complex it was in comparison, and you know, rest was supposed to be so simple, but now it's like, yeah, well, <laughs> to use some of these rest. APIs that are out there, you have to have almost as much complexity in in what you had in SOAP, but now in the form of this other SDK that you have to go back and learn. And you, because know, some of them can be really complicated. Oh, PayPal. absolutely, PayPal's insane, <laughs> absolutely insane. And, and even trying to dig through their code too, you're just like, what? What? No. 
So yeah. Now this is where I would like to bring back any PayPal developers that are still listening to us that haven't turned us off yet. <laughs> this is where I want to bring them back to where they'll be like huge fans of us, because you know, as developers, we whether we intend to or not. Have you ever noticed how we develop a relationship with our code? Oh yeah. I mean, there there's code that you just love. You you're, you're it's like you know you're <laughs> you you're right? ready to do cartwheels because like you're so happy with that code, right? And then there's code that you just absolutely loathe. Yeah, <laughs> you can't stand. Like you're embarrassed to say that you wrote it, and you took like there's nothing in the header file that has your name. <laughs> right, right. There's no mention of you. You you tried to erase the git history for that file but you failed and only made it worse but you know <laughs> you ever like i know i can't be the only one. Oh no i'm definitely there i actually try to move all the gross stuff to gross files <laughs> so i can keep the clean stuff cleaner <laughs> like oh no this is good uh, let me just move this to a utils park because uh it's nasty so if i ever see a gross.js i'll know it's yours oh yeah yeah, I don't write bad code. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now. Yeah, I'm I mean, like, if it works, it's good, right? There are two other guys with microphones in front of their faces that have read some of your code. <laughs> that have read some of your comments. Like, I don't even know how I got here. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Oh, that's amazing. I, but in fairness, usually those comments are like, so I've traced my way here. And I have no idea how I got here. I feel like it, it, it feels like we're we're like remaking the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> I don't know how I got here. I'm lost. This is the guy who came up with uh, having a special kind of note for the things that we're hacking, right? Oh, you like, like that, right? Is it hack or fail or <laughs> don't know. Fragile. Yeah, fragile. Yes. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Everything he does is perfect. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that fragile code, you love it or do you loathe it? Oh, so man. slash slash bug in the framework colon. Man, it, we, we've all been there, right? Like where, where it, and Joe's done this, like we work together and he's like, look, man. I know that you're getting ready to take this over. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And I'm sorry. I mean, and that's the funny thing is, even with the readme says go away. Dude, even with code that you're proud of, like you'll always be looking at it going, Oh man, look, I, I just need to tell you about this one thing in here, right? And, and and you always have that in the back of your head. There's like even the prettiest stuff, you just always like, oh man, I really don't want them to criticize it, but I need to let them know about this, or, or right. you know, and and I don't know, I think that's a good thing, right? Until Being, they come back and complain about your DTOs, right, right, <laughs> or lack of documenting. Oh my them. gosh! Um, but no, I mean that's really the thing, though. Is I think that's what really separates people who are truly passionate about what they do. Is you do kind of. Yeah. I hate to say that you form an emotional bond with it, but you, you want people to kind of be not turned off when they have to come into your code, right? And that's that's always a nice thing. Well, yeah, so you definitely do, like, as developers, I think we definitely do create an emotional bond with it. I think that's a great way of putting it, right? But I think that this is, like, 
it, it, it's definitely not um, specific to just developers. Like anyone who's in a in a environment where they create something. Yeah. Right. So if you're a hardware engineer and you create some new hardware, you know, like Johnny Ive is probably like he probably loves his his job, right? Like right. that guy. That guy is really happy. I'm sure. Right. Um, if you are an artist, you know, you you there's art that I'm sure that you love, and then some that you're not as happy with, you know. But I wonder too, though, if if that emotional swing goes from love to loathe as fast as it does for a developer. Because I know that there are times where I'm like, you know, there's some code that I'm like super happy with until I show it to one or two other developers. And then I immediately hate it. And I'm like, you know, I, I didn't write that. I don't, (laughs) I don't actually know where that came from. Uh, That's that's a, wow. Someone committed that using my credentials. (laughs) I don't, I actually don't know how that happens. Uh, I have a solution for you. Now, it doesn't get rid of the Git history, but just put a typo in there so that the build fails, and then be like, hey, man, can you go fix that? <laughs> their name so, last on the file. <laughs> well, let's assume it's a single file. Right, right. Uh, well, that's a good idea. I'll have to do that to all my files from now on. No, it looks like Alan was the last one to... Uh, I, you know, it never... I originally authored it, but it looked completely different when I did it. Uh, it says here he only added one character. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, wait, Joe. This is this is kind of random. Didn't you just uh, publish your first uh, box pusher thing? Oh, yeah. So Not um, to put you on the spot. I, I, yeah. Uh, box pusher was a little game I did just for fun. I wanted to get some more experience with uh, some of the, like, the node kind of um, JavaScript-y build stuff. And so I did that a while back, and uh, I wanted to make an Electron app out of it just to play around. And, you know, I didn't want to do a sub-module in Git. I didn't want to duplicate the code. I was like, how do I check the stuff into Git without, uh, uh, or GitHub without duplicating all the, the code for the actual, you know, the, <laughs> the actual app? And so uh, the easiest way is just to make it a package and publish it up to NPM. So I am now a published NPM package person. Which is very easy to do. It's free. <laughs> and, and Electron, you're talking about electron.atom.io, right? Yep. So it's basically like um, it, it's basically a browser. It's a Chromium browser that uh, you can install and um, alongside your custom like website code, and so you can create a cross-platform app with website code and you know JavaScript and HTML and run it. And a lot of apps that you've probably used, uh, including the code visual editor, um, or sorry, uh, the code um, editor that Microsoft just released, or the Slack app actually too, are, are built on this. And so it's just a really nice way of running a website locally. So I wanted to give it a go. So I created a package and have now taken the word box pusher um, away from anyone who might want to use it for something useful. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so I could you know, not check in, you know, duplicate code and get that no one cares about. Right. <laughs> so, how about this one? Maybe we should make this one the last one for the evening. The last random thought from my mind, but um reflection is not a dirty word. So, I agree. so often I you'll hear someone talk about something with reflection and their immediate gut reaction is Oh, no, no, that's reflection. You shouldn't use that. That's horrible. Why would you do that? It hurts performance. You should never use reflection. That There's got to be a better way. We should call Vlad right now. And, <laughs> and like, 
it it there's times where I'm like, no, it's actually a legitimate use for it. You know, it's not necessarily a bad thing to use reflection. It depends on what you're trying to do with it, right? Like if you're going to recursively do it, you know, uh, you know, a billion times, yeah, that's probably going to be a bad thing. But like, I mean, I'm reminded of an example of where, um, uh, gosh, I don't even know how long ago it was now when early on when I, I wrote that, uh, little pattern about that I, I referred to as the reflection of control and, um, basically the idea was that that assembly, it, it would at startup time do a one time reflection to just find some types, but then it was done and it would never, it would never do it again. It was done. It was, it only happened at app startup. And like some of the feedback I got back, even from people that I knew, like friends I knew, they immediately were like, Oh, that's horrible. Why would you use reflection for that? That No, I'm never, I would never do that. That's bad. That's, I, I, you know, someone once told me that reflection was bad for performance, so I would never do that. And you're like, come on, man. Really? Yeah. I mean, it, my feeling on that is tools exist for a reason, right? There's a reason why reflection exists. It's useful. It, it, it can be used. It's the same thing with link, right? I've heard so many people say entity framework is a pig. It performs horribly. Okay, if you're writing link queries and you don't understand what it's doing behind the scenes, yeah, totally. You can completely bomb your entire system. And the same thing with reflection, like what you're saying right now. If you don't understand the impact of what you're doing, if you're recursing a billion times or something, yeah, you're going to tear it up. But it has its uses, and it they're really good uses. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't like anybody who dis, uh, dismisses something just right off the top right like what is the use is there a better way to do it if there is maybe explore it but like with what you did in that thing so your other option was to write a bunch of configs that that link stuff up right so why do that you you had a nice elegant solution with with the reflection and control basically with the assembly sniffing essentially and it worked well right? right and and it was pretty it was basically convention right and there's a lot to be said for stuff like that, and and I don't know. Dismissing something out of hand because you hear it performs badly, or even if it does perform badly, there might be a good reason for it. We, we've had similar conversations <clears throat> like with the, the use of static as yeah. an example, yeah. right? Like, you know, um, it being bad. I, I don't even remember what the argument was for it. It was a code smell. Uh, having a static in a non-static class was a code smell. Yeah. And... And I, I don't necessarily agree with that. There were good points made around it. But, you know, same type thing with reflection. It, it has its purpose. It, it wouldn't exist if people didn't need it for something, right? Yep. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think, Joe? Do you think that we need it? Reflection is awesome. Like I care a <laughs> lot about my time. And that's why I use higher order languages like C Sharp and JavaScript. And I don't just write everything in assembly, you know? <laughs> So uh, I am totally on board with using a, a tool that makes my life easier, even if it adds a 10 milliseconds at startup. Right. So I have no problem whatsoever. You know, you don't necessarily want to build a mission-critical real-time application completely based on reflection, but it's not going to kill anybody if you use it here and there when it makes sense. Right. So reflection, heck yes. <laughs> so 
Um, like I said, we'll leave that reflection as a as the uh, last one. But you know, I'm curious what what do you guys think? Like, did you like um, you know, did you two like the inner ramblings of my mind as uh, as fodder for the show? I did absolutely. Always, yes. Yeah, these are the same type of things that we have, and probably both Joe and I should do the same thing. Write down some of these things because, I mean, man, there's thoughts that come up every day that you're just like, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, I'm I'm also curious too. So, any listeners, you know that that question goes out to you too. I'm curious uh, how you enjoyed, you know, getting to know how my mind works in crazy ways, <laughs> and some of the weird things that like come to mind. So uh, yeah, let me know if, if you if you really enjoyed it or if you didn't really enjoy it. Well, you know if you really didn't enjoy it, you should probably tell Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Just go to www.codyblocks.net slash episode forty one. <laughs> don't make me loathe this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so oh, we got we got our tips of the week still. Yeah. 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 Oh no, I wasn't done. I wasn't done. I was just saying, like, you know, with the, the main content for it. So, yeah, I mean, Alan kind of took away my segue because this is where we get into Alan's favorite part of the show. Woo-hoo. It's the tip of the week. <laughs> or in this case, it really is a month. <laughs> it's been a minute. Man, what, why you got to hate? Why you got to hate? Uh, All right. So, I, I have two in there that are both Visual Studio specific. Um, but one of them is just kind of like a, Hey, a reminder. So if, if you like working in, let's say Chrome's dev tools, right. And you like the console in there and you're really used to being able to just go into the the console and write some JavaScript on the fly and see what's going to happen. Hey, don't forget, you can do the same thing in visual studio with your C sharp, right? So if you haven't already, you can go up to your view menu and include your intermediate window, right? And then when you are debugging your application and you're at some stop point or some break point in your application, you can go into that intermediate window and you can write some C-sharp code in there just like you would JavaScript in your in your uh, console in the DevTools. It's immediate window, right? <coughs> or is it intermediate? Inter- I it was immediate. Immediate, In- yeah. Intermediate. Mm. I think it's they both kind of mean the same thing, right? <laughs> I think it's immediate. I gotta look yeah, it up. I'm pretty now. sure. All right, so everybody's gonna start typing. I think now it's immediate window. But you can't do everything. Like uh, I don't think it, it lets you do link expressions. It will not. That's really upsetting. And oh, maybe it is immediate window. Yeah. Whatever. Bring it. Three Dang zero. It, three <laughs> Michael zero. <laughs> I. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so I, I wrote that wrong in my notes. I could have sworn it was intermediate, but whatever. Uh, All right, so <laughs> we can't give him that one. So we're gonna go with uh, settings. So, so a friend showed me this, and I don't know how like I don't know how long this has ever been there, but somehow I've con- I've missed this because have you ever noticed that like you get set in your ways about doing something and you're like, you know what? It works. So I'll just keep doing it forever and ever and ever and ever. Yep. And sometimes yeah. frameworks can be like that where like, you know that like, Hey, there's this object. And if I use this object, I can get to this thing. And this, and that object has this method. And all I got to do is use that and it can, it can do it for me. And so the configuration manager is one of those things, right? So if you are, um, 
if you have settings in your app config, for example, uh, and you want to read those, you could use the configuration manager to get to those. <clears throat> but there's an even cooler way to do it, which is typed. And that's that's the settings. So what you can do is you can right-click on your project, right? Oh, why is this not co cooperating? Right-click on your project and go to settings. And then in the properties, in the project properties, it'll bring up uh, several tabs, right? And one of them will say tab, well, one of them will say settings. And if you've never enabled this on your project before, it'll say this project does not contain a default settings file. Click here to create one. So do that. Click there and create one. And then boom, some magic happens. And what happens behind the scenes is it sets up a, a uh, C-sharp class called settings, right? And, and it is in a corresponding designer for it. And then those settings are going to map to whatever goes into the app config. Only you're not going to manually edit the app config, right? So once you're into um, those, those settings, right? And it's going to immediately bring up this little grid. And you can type in the name of your setting. And then you can select what the type is for it. And then you can select, uh, you know, then you can type in a value for it. And like I said, it's going to be typed, right? So if the type that you select is an enum, then it's going to present all the enum values that are available. If you say it's a Boolean, it's only going to let you pick true or false. If you say it's a connection string, it's going to give you that. And it'll give you an option to whether or not the setting that you're trying to create is specific to the user or if it's specific to the application. So like things that are specific to the application aren't going to change at runtime, but things for the user may change at runtime, right? So it, it's, you know, in the, it's a really cool way. And when you go and look at that, what's going to happen is behind the scenes in that settings CS file, it's going to have your settings that you entered in there as default values, but there's also going to be those values in your app config, Right, so that it can read it can read it from the app config, or if you don't provide it, then it'll just read it from the settings file. But then, what that means is that the in the old way, if you were to use the configuration manager, you might say something like configuration manager dot app settings and then username. Or if you're if this was a web configuration, you might say web configuration manager dot app settings dot um, and then in and then the parameter that you would pass in as a string would be username. But in this way, um, you're going to say settings.default.username. So now you have some type checking on your settings of it. You're not just like relying on some string value coming back or some string that you're passing in, right? It, it's typed for you. So you have that in your favor to help you with, you know, finding your errors at compile time rather than runtime. That's really nice. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't and even know about that. I, I don't yeah. even know how long it's been there. I Like I said, you get stuck in your ways, and you know, a friend showed that to me, and I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. How have I not found this so far? That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I got a little tour of the, the, the feature myself. And I just couldn't believe it was there, and then I hadn't known about it all these years. All right. Well, I guess so. It's now that your mind is blown, I think I think that should definitely be like Alan three, Michael five. 
No, no, I'll give you one. Dang it. All right, so mine actually came up recently, and sometimes in SQL Server, it does things that just don't make sense, and that's really frustrating. So you have this query that runs in a second. You put it in a proc, and it runs in five minutes, and you call the proc again, and it runs in five minutes, and you're like, wait, wait, wait. Okay, so let me just run the query that's inside the proc, and it runs in one second, and so now you're going... I have no idea what to do here. Well, there's a frustrating thing that can happen is it could actually cache the wrong query plan for whatever's inside that proc. And it may continually do that for some reason unbeknownst to anybody in mankind. So one way that you can get around this is you can use a hint called with recompile. And so if you're calling a stored proc that seems to be caching a bad query plan, you could basically call that proc like exec my proc with recompile. And that basically forces it not to use its cache for the query plan for the proc. And it will force it to basically do it like it's brand new every single time. And so you take a little bit of a hit on it recompiling itself. But, you know, if there was a problem, to where it was hanging for some reason, then it'll at least get rid of that. So you're taking a hit on it, on it compiling itself, but then, you know, typically it will run it the way that you expect it to. So that is my hint. Uh, it came up recently and it seriously took something down from six minutes to a second. So um, it's not nice that you have to use things like this, but it is useful to know that they exist. Yeah, um, I've also had a problem with uh, parameter sniffing, which is very similar, and it's another issue where uh, just a recompile doesn't uh, doesn't do so. Or sorry, the um, the compilation that's cached just doesn't do so hot for uh, whatever parameters. And uh, the trick for that one is just creating local variables of all your arguments and using those instead of the arguments that are passed in. Yeah, it's kind of it ridiculous. So crazy. Yeah. And it, it, it's one of those things where like this is logically equivalent, and it's stupid but it really does work and I hate it. <laughs> it. It is frustrating because it's, it's literally one of those phantom pain type things, right? Like there's no smoking gun anywhere. You, you can't find it. And then somebody says parameter sniffing and you go, what? All right, yep. Google. <laughs> Pure video. There's a really nice article actually that I'm, uh, I can link in the podcast about this. Cause I've been dealing with, uh, I've dealt with a very similar issue. <laughs> Cool. And if I fixed it with recompiles and um, getting around parameter sniffing, it's it sucks. But you are you are all the much better for knowing about it. <laughs> Ugh. Anyway, uh, my tip of the week is a new podcast uh, just started up not too long ago. It's actually a daily podcast, which is really ambitious because I mean we have our time getting it out once a month, um, and uh, it, like every day of a week has a different kind of focus. So it's all related to tech type topics, but. Um, Stuff like, uh, I guess, kind of in the periphery of actually working in tech. So things like motivation, productivity, leadership, technology, people, entrepreneurship, and uh, getting unplugged. So it's uh, the Hello Tech Pros uh, podcast, and they're actually based here in Orlando. Got to meet them at Code Camp, which I didn't, I forgot to talk about. It was awesome. But uh, you guys should check it out since you like podcasts. Excellent. All right. So with that, I hope you uh, enjoy listening to the ramblings that go on in my head. And, uh, you know, like I said, let Alan know if you didn't like it. 
And be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or more using your favorite podcast app. So if a friend you know gave you this, uh, you know pointed pointed you in our direction, be sure to uh, subscribe so that you can catch the next episode and all of the back catalog. And uh, if you haven't already left us a review, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or both. We greatly appreciate it. Cannot stress how much we appreciate that. Yep, and contact us with any questions or topics just like the guys did in this particular episode. And if you'd like us to leave you a shout-out, let us know how you'd like to do that on Twitter or just a name or whatever. And visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find all our show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Uh, follow us on Twitter, join our Slack, um, and uh, you know, give us reviews. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Are, are we diving into Joe's head next time? Is that what's going on? Oh, y'all don't want to come in here. <laughs> <laughs> what are it's all like, these cobwebs? <laughs> it's like dark thoughts and Star Wars trivia. <laughs>